Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Greetings, fellow Fordians, and welcome to another episode of Investigating the Impossible with Tobias and Emily. As always, I'm Emily. And I'm still Tobias. That's good. Don't ever change. (laughs) (laughs) Fat chance. All right. (laughs) And today with us, we have Heather Mosier of Small Town Monsters. Did I pronounce that right? You did. Hello. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for being on the show, Heather. So, um... Thank you. Yeah, so... Just to get started, as we always do, um, Tobias. What? What's that question you always ask? Well, I have a variety of questions for for Heather, actually, because um, a lot of people might not know, but I mean, Heather has some fairly impressive credentials, and I think that, you know, she probably has a variety of very interesting uh, 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 opinions on a a variety of subjects to do with the the specific fields of of oddities that, that, you know, we're most interested in. But I think the question uh, that Emily is referring to that I do pretty much ask every single time, especially if it's a guest first time on the show, is um, why weird stuff? You know, what, what, what got you into this? You know, you could have been an in, in, in educated, um, you know, a professor, teacher of anything, but, you know, yeah. you got interested in folklore, right? And uh, yeah. here we are. Well, I mean... Uh... I, I'm I'm also a professor at Kent State, and I teach Greek and Roman history, so okay. I do do that. That's pretty <laughs> gotcha. rad. But as far as like the yeah, we just started too. It's 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 fun. It's all online, so that's helpful. Um, especially while I was while the kids were really young, um, it, it afforded me a lot of freedom to take care of them while I did that. So um, why the weird? Well, it's probably started with uh, Robert Stack on Unsolved Mysteries. probably that's awesome (laughs) what started it all yeah so um unsolved mysteries is probably what kicked it off for me and um like i had the phone number memorized at the time i wish i still did uh to call him up if you had any tips or stories to share and um i don't know i grew up with stories of my mom living in a haunted house um, stories of a Ouija board that she had that my aunt was afraid of and had burned almost immediately. Uh, and I, I remember in elementary school hearing stories of Bigfoot around the area. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's just been around, I guess. It's never, it's, it caught my attention young and then it's just never gone away. Interesting. You know, and, and, and we hear that a lot from people, um, you know, who, who have an interest in this kind of stuff since since childhood and now you're a uh you teach did you say was it classical history like greek and yeah, roman yeah okay. greek and roman history gotcha mm-hmm. gotcha which is which is fascinating so was would you say that this interest in in weirdness and you know the the the, the paranormal did that influence your uh your decision at all when it you know when when, when you were deciding like what you wanted to do uh in your postgraduate work and and sort of you know how like where you ended up in terms of your your professional life well um <clears throat> classics classics kind of i don't it just kind of came out of nowhere because where i grew up we didn't really talk about ancient history mm. so when i got to college i started as what was called an exploratory major which is not really a major it's just take a bunch of classes and see what 
seems right. Um, and I took a class, it was called well, Greek Achievement, and then I took Roman Achievement, which both of those are ones that I teach now. Um, and uh, I had an amazing professor in Roman Achievement especially, who clearly was very passionate about the subject. And um, I was interested in Julius Caesar from William Shakespeare. So um, when we started to get into the Roman Republic, I was like, you know what, this is something that I find interesting and I think I can dedicate my time to. And there's plenty of also spooky stories and um, that kept my interest. And when we got into um, different Latin classes, I took a class called Latin Epigraphy and within epigraphy, which is a study of um, like gravestones, anything that's etched into stone or on coins, um, which is a, a kind of a very distinct discipline within Latin itself. Um, we got into what are called curse tablets. And mm-hmm. that was something that I just ate up, man. That was, that was all in for me. But uh, <laughs> once I got done with college, just looking into folklore in the area because I always had an interest in history and so then looking into folklore of my region specifically in um, Appalachia and just coming back around to that spooky stuff is what pushed me to, to get to where I am now with uh, small town monsters. Gotcha. Well, hold, so, uh, just hold on one second. For anybody who doesn't know yeah. what curse tablets are, could, could we get into that a little bit? Yeah, I was going to say, that's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, dude, they're sweet. So the Latin term... <laughs> <laughs> is uh, the ficciones, um, is, uh, it, that's what we call it in Latin. And basically, they come in a handful of different, um, a handful of different varieties, but one that's most common is we'll find like pieces of lead that's flattened out and rolled up. Um, and somebody, you would have hired someone to perform a curse. Um, I guess you could have done it yourself if you had the knowledge, but normally you would hire somebody to place a curse on someone and they would take and etch in this lead some sort of curse. Um, And they would call upon certain deities or certain spirits. And then they would say some pretty nasty things, uh, roll it up because it it was very very thin. And then walls, whether it was the walls of a business or a house or whatnot. And um, I think they sometimes would even put a nail through it because you're binding them. Oh, sure. And um, we have found those uh, that bind all kinds of people, whether it's a, a jilted lover that, that had the curse or maybe a, a chariot racer who was upset that he'd been losing and wanted to curse another um, opponent or whatever. But it, it runs the gamut. And we talk in that one, you can see, if you study those, you see different deities that aren't typically discussed necessarily in other contexts. Like Hecate is one of them. She comes up a few times in the curse tablets and not that she isn't in mythology, but it's interesting that she's one that gets called upon hmm. in curse tablets a decent amount. But um, yeah, that was something that our professor would, especially around Halloween, would cover curse tablets. <laughs> That's super um, And then it got to be every class after that with him, I would ask <laughs> if on Halloween we could talk about curse tablets in one way or another. Oh, totally. I mean, that, yeah. How how could you not? <laughs> Why didn't my professors talk about curse tablets? No. I, I don't know. I only took like one classics course in, in college. I took like two and then we didn't learn about this. No, I, well, you probably have to go on to like, you know, much, much further into that course of study before you get to yeah. the, the curse tablets. I might have liked the class more if I would have learned about right. the curse well, tablets. <laughs> this professor, this professor um, inspired me to want to be someone to, to help teach and share stories and stuff because of the way that he was 
so passionate about his class, awesome. any class that he taught. And he actually got to, his classes were my favorite, especially when I got into graduate work and it was colloquiums where we would have these discussions. And the way he ran his course was, it was an immersive experience and it was like role-playing. You were assigned a character. You could either, depending on the class, like one class I took was called Roman Decadence. You created a character <laughs> and then you were that character for the semester. And he created a town we all had different roles within the town and then we would have to interact as if we were those people every time we had class and then there was an online forum and we would have to be in character every time give speeches That's and awesome. all of that and so you were living the experience and i think that that helped everyone connect more so to what was going on. Wow. Yeah, I mean, that's a that's a pretty unique uh, uh, teaching style, yeah. Yeah, to, to say the least. Yeah. Um, you know, and I guess speaking of, you know, sharing stories, obviously that's something that, um, you know, Small Town Monsters does does very well. And, you know, it's, it's not surprising to me that somebody, like, with your passion for 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 stories and and, and sharing you know uh, uh, that knowledge with people you know would would find themselves partnering with small town monsters but you know I've always sort of been interested um, in in how that all really started for you like how did how did you meet Seth and everybody and, and really what led to uh, to you to working with them well I so <clears throat> what happened with Seth was that uh, well I grew up in a little town called Carrollton which is right next to a town called Minerva, where the Minerva monster lives. And um, around here, of course, there's stories of Bigfoot all the time, but when Seth started making Minerva monster, that became, I mean, it became the talk of the area. Hey, there's this guy creating a, <laughs> creating a <laughs> movie about this Bigfoot. And I'm like, all right, well, I need to check that out. And so I started, um, waiting for updates because he had a Minerva monster day. I went to Minerva monster day. And by that point, I had already looked into who um, Seth was and Mark Madsky, and I was listening to Sass What at the time. Um, so I went to Minerva Monster Day. I saw Minerva Monster when it came out, and I thought that's really cool that somebody's documenting history of the area for one, and doing the cool stories from the area. It's not—it's not boring history for me. It's cool history. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, um, yeah. And so then he came out with uh, Beasts of Whitehall, and we had Doggy Creek, and then. Um, when uh, Mothman and a Point Pleasant came out, there was an aspect that really got to me, and that was um, early on in Mothman and a Point Pleasant, they show the cover of a of a, um, a book by James Gay Jones, which is, um, I think it's called More Appalachian Tales or something. It's an orange cover, and it has um, some characters on the cover. It's a very basic-looking cover, but it's, it's Appalachian folklore. And I messaged Seth on Facebook at that point. I, I'd already friended him after Minerva Monster Day, but I messaged him. And I just said, I really appreciate the research that you're putting into this because that's something that I've always been passionate about is research. Mm. And I liked that he was going to sources beyond, you know, current source sources to look into some of these stories. And after that, it, we just started talking. And um, eventually I was like, hey, you know, I, at that time I was still in graduate school and finishing up my master's. And once I finished with my master's, I really missed researching because um, my thesis work it was it was tedious at times, but it was really rewarding and enjoyable. And uh, 
So I told him, I'm like, hey, I'm I'm into all this folklore and stuff. If you need a researcher, I want in. <laughs> <laughs> and basically, I mean, I started looking into cursed objects and stuff on my own, and the Bell Witch naturally came um, came into that discussion because of the cursed rocks and the letters and stuff. And so when I heard that the, he was doing Bell Witch, I was like, I, I, if you are willing to have me, help. And he was like, oh, yeah, sure. And then... Um, I was in shortly after that. He actually asked me on to help with Momo first and then Mothman Legacy and then Bell Witch. But um, yeah, basically Minerva Monster is what started my awareness of Small Town Monsters, his first project. And then him looking into historical stuff is what got my attention even more so. So Nice. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've always respected the... The way that uh, Small Town Monsters, as a, a production company, really puts together um, the, uh, the the documentaries that Ooh, they yeah. do, you know, I I'm just uh, an, an English major, and so I, you know, appreciate yeah. uh, a, a good, honest narrative. Oh you know? yeah, for and sure. And so I right. see, you know, I, I I see that in them. You know, one thing that I like to do. When I'm watching something, is uh, is sort of pick apart the the, the narrative and, and separate it from the the, the story, you know. Mm-hmm. So you've got the like mm-hmm. what actually happened, and then you've got people's interpretation of what had happened. And uh, right. you know, I've I've, I've always respected uh, small town monsters, sort of doing everything they can to you know not present any sort of personal bias or, or influence right. this narrative beyond sort of uh, uh, accurately reconstructing people's experiences. Um, and I think it's something that, like, was so needed in this field because I feel like um, the paranormal had become so plagued by just, like, reality paranormal television that mm-hmm. having these honest and, you know, I don't know if this is the correct term, but, like, neutral but well-researched documentaries um, I think really was needed. And I'm glad that obviously you're on the team and I'm glad that they've become so popular because it's you know I think yeah. it really we need more substance in the field oh sure yeah I, I, I think that they're popular because they were filling a, a, a void that they definitely needed filling so you know mm-hmm. when you are researching something like this I mean using I, I, I guess the, the, the Bell Witch as an example because that one's so old mm. um, where mm-hmm. Where do you start with with something like that? Are you just hitting historical records? Are you going out trying to to collect folklore in the field by talking to people? Like, sort of, what's your 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 methodology there? So the first thing for something, especially like Bell Witch, that's that um, looking into those records are almost more like classics in a way because mostly what we have, um, well, not mostly, I guess, because people write about the Bell Witch now, but there there are records that are more current with the time not that anything that we have is necessarily concurrent with 1817 to 1821 when the witch was supposedly here but we have something closer you know somewhat close in time with that so i try to go back to as close to the primary sources as i can with everything um whether it's bell witch or uh rougarou or ufos or whatever if i can find an ancient source or an older source of course bell witch is an ancient but um something as close to the time that it started as possible that's where i start Mm -hmm. um and then i try to see how things were shaped over time and then i feel like that helps whenever i do eventually talk to people because that does come into the picture um at some point when you're trying to get um interviews or witnesses of course 
witnesses are somewhat different for which, but um, <laughs> just trying to get people to be involved with the documentary in general, because then you can talk to them with some knowledge. Because I don't know how easy it would be to talk to someone if you knew nothing about the subject, to try to get them to open up about something. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that I may not be as open to talking to somebody about an experience or whatever that I had if they have no idea what they're even asking me. Mm. Um, so I like to go into a discussion when we get to the part where I'm talking to, to people that I know enough of the history that I don't just sound like, hey, uh, we're making this movie and it's <laughs> it's about <laughs> Mothman and you know Mothman, right? Can you talk to us? Like, I just, I don't think that that's, what is the people don't deserve that for one they deserve more effort um but yeah so that's where i start i start with the historical records or newspapers um you know i use newspaper archives a lot Mm. um things like that if there are letters with bell witch of course there there are letters involved with that but also the influence like modern day influence of the bell witch is preserved in letters which all comes up in the cursed objects uh discussion as well so I don't know, as much literature as I can is where I start, and then I go to people after that. Gotcha. Well, you know, I, I, I think that, that makes a lot of sense. Oh, yeah. Honestly, like, newspapers.com, like, our our yeah. subscription to that has, it's paid yeah. for itself easily. Oh, totally. You know, and it, oh, it, yeah. it, it, it does every year. It's it's invaluable. So, uh, it I, is. Even with yeah. uh, genealogy research and stuff, mm. I use it for that, too, all the time. Nice. Uh, yeah, so I... I, I I uh, respect the hell out of that, frankly. Oh, yeah. You know, it's it's yeah, it's 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 how we would approach something. Um, so, and I feel well, like that's course, kind of like of how. We like that. I mean, would you say that that's a very academic approach? Um, well, I mean, that's how we were taught when it came right. for classics. Anyway, you go to the sure. primary sources first, um, and then you look at what else was happening at the time. So, like my. Um, undergraduate thesis because I, I wrote an undergraduate thesis um, through the honors college that was part of our requirements to graduate with honors and that thesis covered the memory of Julius Caesar and how it fluctuated from the time of his death through the end of the Roman Empire because it does fluctuate sometimes he's a, a hero a deity sometimes he's a villain and so you go through the primary sources first and you see how he was uh, perceived how he was written down by the historians or whatever the politicians and then you look at, okay, what was happening in Rome at the time that this was written, because that certainly affects how it was perceived and why it was even written the way it was in the first place. Sure. Um, so you start with the primary sources, and then you say, all right, what was happening in the government at the time? What, what wars were going on? Um, who was trying to be emperor at the time? And what was their direct relation to Caesar, if they had any? Um and then you can then you can paint this picture of okay so this we know what Julius Caesar did even if we don't talk about how people favored him or whatnot we know the achievements that he made and the mistakes that he made now let's see how that morphs over time based on who's telling the story and then why that might be so I use that approach when it comes to folklore as well Mm. like why would we why would we talk about this particular monster at this time necessarily or why was it written down in this way or even just from a human perspective why are we even talking about it (laughs) sure um because that certainly changes over time as well the things that capture our imagination and kind of become a hot topic for a while and then that fades away eventually it comes back why does it come back 
like that's the kind of stuff that really interests me. Now, sort of based on everything you just said, um, what is your <laughs> take on? Sorry, but but I mean this will all, <laughs> this will make sense. I t- I promise it will. Yeah, no, I got it. It's good. I'm waiting. <laughs> <laughs> No, I mean, just based on, on that uh, uh, approach and all of the, the contextualization and everything that, that you're doing. Now, what what do you make of the evolution of, uh, of, of something like, like Mothman, you know, where, where you can sort of see um, over the, the, the past few decades the, uh, the, the um, evolution of the, this mythology surrounding like those particular stories? Great question. Right. Yeah, that's a good one. So um, I think it's interesting to see, well, one, when we look at the basis of where Mothman started, I guess, so to speak, down in Point Pleasant, and then we, we move into some place like Chicago. The first thing I want to do as, I guess, an academic researcher is look at the similarities between the two places. What, what can we overlap? Uh, for one, and if that's geographic, you know, waterways or things like that, that's one thing that I just... I note whether that means anything or not. It's just something that I note. Um, and then we look at how things differ. So was there, um, like, if he's a harbinger of doom, which I don't believe that, but, you know, if Same. we go that route, what has happened in Chicago? Nothing? All right, so let's throw that off the table. <laughs> but, I mean, <laughs> I, I look I look for similarities. I look for things that are completely opposite. But also, as far as the evolution of Mothman goes, part of what I can't, I can't personally shape is that we already had this term Mothman mm-hmm. um, and I feel like sometimes there are different creatures or monsters that show up over time and then we give them a label that just makes sense because that's what we're familiar with mm-hmm. um, but it may not necessarily be the same entity if that makes sense it's just sure. something that we're trying as humans to rationalize, all right, what did I see? What can I, and I do this in folklore all the time, even experiences that I've had out investigating with paranormal stuff. Um, if I see something and, and it doesn't ring a bell for me, I will start going into to history and say, all right, has this been written down somewhere else? What was its name? <laughs> what did someone else call it before? Because certainly I wasn't the first one to have these kind of experiences. And so right. I, I'm not, I'm not personally completely sold on that Mothman is the same Mothman that was in Point Pleasant necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I still think people are seeing something and that it has a similar shape. And I mean, there are definitely elements that are very similar, but I can't help but wonder if it's not a different type of creature. It's just that Mothman is something we know. And so that's what we kind of cling to. Sure. Yeah, and then and 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 that's fair enough. You know, I, I don't think anybody um, would be qualified to to say one way or another right now. So of course we have to allow for for that possibility. You know, I I know yeah. specifically um, when we were covering those uh, those stories for uh, you know singing the Fortean Society. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I uh, recognizing that you know I some bias would exist as soon once you start using the name mothman you know that right. that informs people you know it's it's, it's right. going to inform their opinion of, of what it is you're talking about and so mm-hmm. we held off for probably 
had to be close to a year oh, of I, me yeah. just awkwardly calling this thing like just just using the phrase flying humanoid which you know right. I, as a writer I hated but I you know I, I wanted to be like but as a journalist I wanted to be accurate so I just right, used like exactly. flying humanoid or winged humanoid all the time and then finally um, you know I, I felt like it was similar enough where just to, mm-hmm. to add like to, to where using Mothman was providing context rather than um, you know, right. unfairly framing things to make it more sensational, uh, uh, sensationalistic or something. But um, yeah, no, you're you're absolutely right. Uh, especially when you look, and I I know you've you know done uh, uh, some work researching this. When you look at those those sightings, uh, the the descriptions do tend to be um, somewhat. Uh, they, they 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 vary, you know. So the the yeah. idea that you're talking about, you know, disparate entities is not. It's it's definitely not off the table. That's for sure. Oh, sure. And I'm kind of curious now. I'm I'm sure you must have read the the Mothman prophecies at at, at some point. Um, and so what I you... haven't. I'm gonna oh, tell no? you right now. I haven't. <laughs> oh no. I have no. For real, I haven't read that because I went straight for historical, like as historical as I could, and oh. I didn't want. When I was looking into Mothman Legacy, I didn't want John Keel to um, inform anything for me. Sure. Um, because I wanted to be able, when Seth hired me on for Mothman Legacy, it was, well, one, for witnesses, but two, to look into the influences that came into West Virginia via, um, like, uh, like immigrants mm. and people who already lived in the area. And so, I did. I just didn't even. I did not go into John Keel with all of that. I went into, mm-hmm. all right. What are like humanoids like this? Whether they're winged humanoids or um, impending, you know, ones that are uh, harbingers of doom, supposedly or whatever, that are reflected within the communities that are in that region of Appalachia. And I didn't want to be influenced in another way. So I love that. I haven't. I have not read John Keel. Darn well, I, okay. Uh, which is probably absolutely oh, yeah. horrible of me. No, no. I, not <laughs> no, I mean, I, I honestly, I and you know, hopefully this will this will make you feel better. Honestly, the the reason that I asked was because I wanted to get your opinion on how the narrative he crafted in that book um, helped uh, sort of shape people's idea of those those sightings or, or or those experiences and and you know frankly shaped them in a way that is not accurate historically right. to to actual right. events um but you know that can be a discussion for another day and in, 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 in you another know. day when i've read his stuff right right no i could i mean and i john keel is such an entertaining writer but i could talk all day about how much he loved to just make shit up and, oh totally and uh that book was not my favorite honestly it was i mean it's fine the thing about it and we won't talk about it for very long but the the my favorite thing to say about him <laughs> is that you know, he was an excellent storyteller, but he never let the truth stand in the way of a good story. Yeah. 
You know, it right. is what it is. Yeah. And, and, you know, you uh, mentioned specifically not believing in the, the Harbinger of Doom angle. That only comes from John Keel. You can't mm. find another source uh, for that. It's not like right. people were talking about it at the time. When the bridge collapsed in, in Point Pleasant, right? I mean, it's not like it, was a, it wasn't it yeah. was a thing until the 70s when his book came out. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Well, see, there you go. I <laughs> I definitely didn't want any type of modern influence when I was looking into the stuff that um, Seth wanted me to for Mothman Legacy. Um, he gave me very specific parameters. Well, okay, he changed his parameters on me. At first, he wanted a particular set of witnesses that were from the original sightings. And so I spent literally months looking into witnesses that he hadn't included in Mothman of Point Pleasant that were from the original time period, the original flap of sightings in those 13 months. Track those people down. And then at Mothman Festival, the last, I think it was the last one before the pandemic, he says, when I came to visit, hey, I was thinking about it and I don't want to cover that stuff anymore. I want to go from <laughs> from then <laughs> to present day. And I want to start doing that. This of course, before COVID hit, I want to start doing that within a few weeks. And I was like, oh, great, that's awesome. Thank you. For the, <laughs> for the allotted time frame, Seth, yeah, I'll, I'll do it. And I did, but, um, and then when we got into the other researches, we were putting it together and we were, okay, let's get the influence of the people in the area. But, um, yeah, I, I definitely, I haven't touched John Keels. I, I checked it out from the library because I thought I would use it at some point, but, um, I never read it. It Fair just sat enough. there and then I returned it. <laughs> no, and I, and I I think that when you read it, um, if if you get around to it, uh, you'll probably well, I, you know it's at this point there, there's nothing that you're going. <laughs> Why would I? It. No, I'm just kidding. Right. I will at some. I will someday. But uh, well, I, you know, I, yeah, I, I just like I said, I, he's a very entertaining uh, writer and a good storyteller. But I think that somebody like you, um, who has done such. Uh, you know, good research and, and is mostly interested in research um, and, you know, historical authenticity and, and accuracy will probably read it and, um, and you know, there might be some, some gnashing of teeth and pulling of hair because he takes, he takes some liberties. Uh, we'll just say that. Definitely takes some liberties. Um, now, interestingly, uh, yeah, just I guess going on that 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 harbinger of uh, of of doom angle, which of course Emily and I both are 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 uh, against. You know, yeah, we, we, I've I've seen zero evidence that that, that is actually <laughs> a, a a a thing. But um, right now, in your research, you know, because you really have been sort of uh, present in in Point Pleasant and 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 have mm -hmm. probably been able to see. Sort of the influence of uh, of of uh, Mothman, you know, if if it's not a, a harbinger of, of of doom or anything, what uh, what role do you see it playing in in that uh, community, like in 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 their specific culture, you know, like what 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 has Mothman meant to them then, if 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 anything, if if there's any sort of specific you know purpose to the 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 experiences at, at at all right well i think um right now like currently what it's been rather than a portion of doom is an actual boon to the community um they're able to have 
well, most years, a festival that draws in thousands of people, that um, stimulates the economy in the community. They have, of course, Wamsley, Jeff Wamsley has the museum, and there are other stores that have popped up, and they're able to profit off of Mothria now. And I think that that's amazing. Um, so I think that he's been helpful. If, if anything, he's been, um, and can be not just Mothman, but I think any of these uh, monsters, especially in small communities, if they were to embrace it, that they could potentially save their communities, especially a lot of these ones that are on rivers that were river towns and they were prosperous and they're dying out. Um, people are interested in these stories. Use that you know say well one save the story because i hate when stories just disappear that was one thing that i loved about small town monsters from the beginning is mm -hmm. the preservation of stories mm -hmm. um save the stories and embrace them and then use that so that your community can stay alive longer to create more stories um so i think that that's what it's done as far as now it, and also the popularity of something like that I think is also important on a human level because when then when people have experiences, they don't feel as alone mm -hmm. because someone else has had a similar experience and they've come forward about it. Um, so I think it, it helps on a community scale, like a more macrocosm situation and then in a microcosm situation with people who've had similar experiences not to feel so alone in the moment. Sure. No, I, I, I... I think that's great, and I, I completely agree with 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 all of that. Um, so, when you are uh, researching these these experiences, you know how much are you looking for some kind of objective truth behind them, and and how much is just trying to um, as as authentically as possible relate people's experiences with with without passing judgment i mean is is the end goal to to discover a, a mothman or a, a momo or something um or is it enough to just catalog the experiences i only care about cataloging cataloging the experiences mm -hmm. um i if i see something like that that would be cool <laughs> i think i don't know sure. I, I can't imagine it might be scary i, mean, I don't know it, it would probably be terrifying if I were to see a Bigfoot in front of me right now. Um, and it would certainly change my perspective on things. I mean, sort of, because I do think that some, like, I, I do think that these things are real. So, mm. it, but still seeing it is a different, it's a different beast than just believing it. Right. <laughs> um, so, but, but my objective with all of this is is to collect the stories because that still it still paints a picture of us as humans because inevitably and this came up repeatedly with um with Rougarou especially mm. when we started to look into the influence of the immigrants in the area there are pieces of these stories that people talk about now that are so specific but I can only find those, like that one thread, I can only find in like a French, well, French is too easy for that one, like an Italian source um, from 300 years ago or something. But that pervaded, like that persisted throughout the years and still is a part of our stories that we tell now. And that, to me, cataloging that now shows 
there's something about that story that we as humans found interesting enough to keep it alive that long. And that's where my interest is when it comes to all of this, like on a human level, how does that, how do these stories speak to us and how does that affect us? What have we decided to keep alive? What has fallen off over time and why? Um, whether if people are making stuff up, I mean, that's on them, I guess. I'm not going to question their experience. Mm-hmm. Um, because I can't, I can't, you know, if you're lying to me, you're lying to me. If you're telling me the truth, you are. But even if somebody is lying, you can still see threads of the influence of folklore on their narrative because they got it from somewhere. Right. So to me, that's still interesting, I guess. Like, okay, so you heard these pieces and you thought that that was interesting enough to include in your own story. I, yeah. I don't know. It, I don't... I don't question people when they tell me stories. Mm. I just, I would prefer to think that people aren't lying to me. (laughs) Um, But if they are, then, I mean, I don't know. It's, if it were something completely outlandish, then when it comes to small town monsters, then I guess, like if I had this like real gut feeling that these people were lying or whatever, then I wouldn't even bring them into anything that we do with small town monsters as far as that goes. Sure. But, um, yeah, I, I don't know. It's not my job to decide whether they're, they're telling the truth or it to find a Mothman or whatever. I just want to know how it's affected us as people. Right. No, I, I, I think that's great. And I, honestly, like, thinking back on, on how I phrased that, I didn't mean to say <laughs> – okay, I put the word just in there a couple times, and I realize now <laughs> – how that sounds, and I didn't mean it like that because I I, I agree, and I, I am very much a, a proponent of um, e- examining experiences. And sort of my my approach has always been to treat a witness as though uh, they are authentically relating their experience, unless I have direct evidence to the the contrary, right. because I don't know yeah. that we have the technology. Um, necessary to be able to to really uh, study some of this this phenomena, and so sort of the best we can do is 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 using the only tools that we seem to have that can reliably uh, uh, observe these phenomena, which is you know the like human consciousness, and the best way we have of recording that is is by you know recording people's experiences so no i i'm totally on board with with all of that um just just so everybody's clear now uh <laughs> i i would like to ask though um now because you've done uh in investigating with a, a paranormal team you know obviously you've done that with small town monsters as well um you know with the uh like on the trail of and and, and everything um yeah has there been an instance where through you know research or, or or any other means you have discovered some kind of of fabrication hmm discovered a fabrication you know like somebody. some sort of well, like deliberate hoax or something i don't know um well when it comes to like paranormal stuff that's that's kind of hard to pin down hmm. because in my experience when you come well one one of the only ways to pin down some sort of hoax i, I feel in the paranormal community would be if you visit a place multiple times mm-hmm. because when you investigate places it's different every time you may have some similar things that happen but i mean we might have what is considered an active night 
one month and then if we come back the next month it may be pretty dead pun intended um (laughs) so um and then what occurs actually changes over time like what equipment we use and what gets any type of results from something changes um so it's hard to it's hard to pin down a hoax i think in in the paranormal stuff because if somebody comes to me and says that they see shadow figures and it's always in this room that doesn't guarantee that i will see a shadow figure in the eight hours that i spend there that one time um so it's hard to call people out on that kind of thing i I just kind of when it comes to paranormal my goal isn't to persuade somebody that something exists or doesn't exist kind of like any of the other monsters that we talk about but I can only go off of what I've personally experienced. So if somebody's scared out of their mind in one location because they see some red-eyed creature in the corner of this room, then that's them. If I don't see it, then I'm not concerned about it at the time. Uh, Yes. I mean, I haven't seen anybody deliberately hoax anything, I guess. Mm -hmm. The closest that may come to that is um, if somebody makes up history associated with the location Mm. and you could look into historical records and say no that actually didn't happen that building was never used for this purpose or there is absolutely no way that you would know that someone was murdered in this room if you can't like show me the record for that how do you know that how do you know that this person hung themselves in this cell because that has to be documented somewhere or you wouldn't know this story unless this was just something that was fabricated at this point. Like that's what I'm, I'm interested in as well. If you can show me the stories and, and we're not talking about paranormal experiences either. Sure. If you're going to talk about something that actually happened in this building prior to ghosts inhabiting it um, for a ghost hunt or whatever. Right. Um, that's the kind of stuff I guess that you could potentially catch somebody on because I also think that, that isn't, I mean, that's not above people either. Um, if it's like, you know, even if John Keel's wanting to, tell a good story certainly if you're profiting off of paranormal activity in the area i could see that it would be tempting to make stories a little more um attention grabbing than maybe they were um i'm not saying that i know anybody who's done that but i could see it being a thing like oh no there are there are documented cases for sure of people sort of inventing history for haunted locations to make them more enticing to ghost hunters. Well, I haven't actually experienced this location, but it is one that's, it's out west. I cannot remember the state that it's in. But, um, and I can't remember if I referenced it in my my article from the Feminine Macabre or not, but there is a ghost town out west that they... um, the tour guides fabricated a story about if you were removed something from the premises that you would become cursed because they had such vandalism in the area smart that they wanted to create this story you know you take something you're going to be be injured or financial ruin or death or whatever to try to dissuade people from from vandalizing the town and I guess it worked that it's it's just that I mean it worked in in some ways and that people started mailing stuff back when the story became circulated enough. And I'm sure that it deterred some people, but of course there are people that that would actually entice them to take something. Um, but I mean, in that situation there, we know that they made that up. It wasn't, right. it wasn't something that they lied about to begin. I mean, well, they did lie about it, but it's, it's something that it's out there that it's a lie. 
it's not hard to find that out but yeah so that's what that reminds me of i guess a little bit sure no i mean that that makes sense and like i said there's certainly been um at least a, a few well-documented instances of of uh locations which you make an excellent point a lot of them are for profit mm-hmm. and so um that can blur the line between uh investigation and entertainment you know and because I, I think the, yeah. the defense for that would probably be well oh, hey it's all made up anyway who cares but um <laughs> which yeah well i i mean i find that offensive <laughs> but uh, you know like a lot yeah. of people don't take any of this very seriously true. so true you yeah. know it just just sort of is what it is and and, and another thing that I, I sort of found interesting when you were <clears throat> Excuse me. When when you were um, you know sort of talking about uh, your experiences as as far as you know um, uh, determining any any fabrications or, or or anything is that you know I think too often people will call something a hoax without any evidence. And, and they get away with it because of the, the popular, like, uh, uh, sort of scientific uh, uh, mainstream sentiment of, well, all this stuff is impossible anyway. So, you know, if, if you can't prove it, you can just call it a hoax and, and it's fine. But, I, you know, personally, I think that if you're going to call something a hoax, you better have some evidence. And if you don't have evidence, just say you don't know. It's okay not to know. <laughs> yeah. No, I agree with that. I, I, I've i had enough, particularly since I started um, investigating with the, the the team that I go with. Hometown Paranormal is, is the name of that team. Um, I've had not like a ton of crazy experiences, but enough that are jarring that puts me in a mindset of, all right, that was something I never thought would happen, but it did. Um, Therefore, who am I to question anybody else who says that they've had X, Y, and Z happen to them? Because as of a year ago, I didn't think that this was possible, but yet here we are. (laughs) Um, So I'm not a fan of like people being outright dismissive about whatever. Um, anything that it is, whatever the stories are. They could sound outlandish at first, but I mean, something, of course, this is again, assuming that nobody's lying. Um, something's happening. And especially when you have a lot of people that are experiencing something similar, they're not all lying. Mm. This is like what, we can't do that as humans. We can't keep secrets on a mass scale like that. Um, we, we tell people because we can't help but tell people our secrets. So, if, I mean, if it's like this big cover-up or something, I feel like there'd be more evidence out there to prove that it's fake. Um, That's a really, really yeah. good point. And, I, it's, and thank you for saying it. I, I don't think enough people really sort of recognize that. So, yeah, you know, honestly... So, but yeah, no, and, and it, it, sorry, I, 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 I didn't want to cut you off, so I, 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 I no, felt I, bad, but it was important to put an exclamation no, point it, on that. No, it is, it is. So. Yeah, well, I mean, I, that was pretty much it. That was the end of my... Oh, good. So it wasn't so much a, <laughs> of an interruption. That I can't question it. So, yeah, no, you, you were picking up on that it was the end. 
that's what it was. Well, I'm just a really good interviewer, is what it. it is. Yeah. That's right. Very talented. I, that's how I took it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I mean, that is, uh, yeah, I just completely agree with that. I mean, certainly something that we've faced as uh, investigators and, and, you know, paranormal journalists and stuff is people trying to dismiss things as hoaxes with with no evidence and you know like i said at, at the risk of repeating myself i don't find that any less disingenuous than claiming that something paranormal exists without a doubt you know to claim something that to, to, to claim that something is a hoax with no evidence of a hoax simply because it doesn't fit within one's personal paradigm right, right. it's really no more intellectually honest than than saying that you know for a fact you know uh, this ghost is the soul of a, 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 a dead person or, or, or anything else. Because not, none of us know it. Yeah. And we shouldn't say we know things that we don't know. Sure. Um, right, so, exactly. yeah. No, I, I think we're absolutely on the, the same page there. I think that's fantastic. Now, you've got a number of, uh, of upcoming projects that, that you've been working on. Is, is, is that right? Yeah. Do you want to... Yeah. I think... The, of I mean, I can't tell everything that I'm working on yet because it hasn't been announced, but I would say oh, the other day I set out my books on the table and put them in different stacks um, for projects, and I think there's about six different projects that Seth has me working on right now. Excellent. Wow. Um, That's, well, what, what, what can yeah. you uh, sort of <laughs> tell us about, or, or, or at least... You know, so so people know what to look out for. You know, because like for instance, yeah. uh, uh, like uh, Rugaru is coming mm-hmm. up, right? Yeah, it comes out in September, mid September. That'll be exciting. Uh, September fourteenth, actually, which I just found out is the birthday of one of our witnesses that um, is interviewed in the film, and so that's pretty cool. Oh wow! Um, her name is Elizabeth. So whenever you see it and you see Elizabeth talk, she'll discuss. Um, her father's, um, I think her father and her brother um, both had sightings. Um, and uh, she's part of the uh, Homa tribe. Anyway, she it's her birthday, so happy birthday, Elizabeth, <laughs> when that comes out. I thought it was pretty cool that it lined up that way because we that don't pick cool. the dates of release. Um, so that'll be, that'll be coming out. And then... Um, so that's mid-September. And what's what what's the full um, title for that one? <laughs> it's called it's called Skinwalker Howl of the Rougarou. Oh, well, just, um, so people can find it because if it's just Rougarou. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry, it's Skinwalker no, it's okay. Howl of the Rougarou. Um, and uh, you'll see why Skinwalker is thrown in there as soon as you watch it. Like within the first few minutes, it actually kind of explains that. Um, so uh, yeah, that'll be the next thing that comes out. We had um, on the trail of UFOs, Dark Sky just came out. Uh, Love that this month in yeah. August, um, and that one was that one was a lot of fun for me too. Uh, we focused on West Virginia for that, and then on the trail of Bigfoot, the Discovery will be coming out. And I do not know the date on that one, but that'll be coming out before the end of the year. And then um, on the trail of Lake Michigan Mothman will be coming out by the end of the year, hopefully. Um, it should be out in December. I'll probably skip and that you one. Guys, you're going to skip that one? <laughs> <laughs> you guys helped a lot with that. Um, and uh, that one I'm, I'm super excited about as well. Um, we're currently working on that. As far as projects that are coming, um, 
I will be doing an interview show, which I hope that you guys are willing to be a part of. Um, and we're going to call it, I think I'm allowed to say this. I may, I may not be, but whatever. Sorry, Seth. This is an exclusive right here. It's only only going to Patreon right now. I can't remember if we said it or not. That's the thing is, I don't remember what's been announced necessarily. It's a lot to keep track of. Yeah, but um, it's going to be called The Lore You Know. You know, instead of The More You Know. No, I get it. That's that's clever. I like it. Ah, thanks. (laughs) And um, it's going to be an interview show for YouTube. Um, Of course, we have Paranormal and Explain that comes out every week. Um, The Lore You Know will be coming out next year, and that'll be, um, I think we're going to be doing every other week for that show. We're going to start recording those episodes soon. Um we pretty sure it was announced man this is tough trying to think of what what he said i know that the poster hasn't been released yet but i'm pretty sure that we had a thing where we said yeah you know what it was paranormal and explained live thing that we did um jersey devil is going to be coming oh that's exciting and um yeah so that's one that i've that i've started on as well and then the other stuff i'm pretty sure i'm not allowed to say uh, hauntings, of course, that's an ongoing thing. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, on the trail of UFOs, night visitors. We're getting ready to go film that at the end of September. Oh, neat! Into early October, out in Colorado. Um, yeah, so that's, that's, I think, all that I'm allowed to say right now. Cool. But I know for a fact, so nobody can argue with me. If you watch Paranormal Explained, the one live show, Jersey Devil got brought up in that, so I know I'm not. <laughs> Excellent. Well, I, I encourage ev- uh, everybody uh, who's interested in this stuff, and that should be everybody listening to this, uh, to just honestly just go to Small Town Monsters website, which I believe is just smalltownmonsters.com. I believe so. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And uh, and it's it's always updated. It's a beautiful website anyway, uh, but it's mm-hmm. always updated with like the latest news on all of their productions. And so um, it's a great way to just be able to, to sort of keep abreast of, uh, of when everything's being released and, and uh, you know, the, the, the latest yeah. on all of their, their productions and everything. Um, what about, do you have any um, exciting appearances or, or, you know, how can people interact with Heather Mosier? Ah, well... Um so I got asked to be a part of something that hasn't that I haven't I don't think I can say yet but thanks Emily <laughs> <laughs> we will update you all with that <laughs> in Illinois uh, <laughs> hint hint no I'll be there in February um, in Illinois for a conference that will be announced soon um, and uh, in October I will be presenting for the strange realities conference that's um, going to be held in Nashville but I'm actually just attending um, and giving my presentation virtually because sure. uh, you know the world is insane right now right. Um, right. <laughs> yeah so those are the the appearances um, I don't think I'm gonna make it to Braxy which sucks I would have been a Mothman, but of course that's not happening now, understandably so. Right. Um, and then I don't know, uh, you know, I might be at CryptidCon. I might be there with Seth um, and the rest of the crew for CryptidCon. I think that that's something that we're hoping to do. But as far as like social media avenues, if you look up um, at Pagan Historian on Instagram, um, that's me. Or um, you can, 
I'm on Facebook under Heather Mosier, I guess, go to Small Town Monster. You can go to their page and you'll find me there, the Small Town Monsters uh, Facebook page or the group community page or anything like that. Or you can watch um, Paranormal Unexplained on YouTube or um, Monsteropolis. I've been dropping out on Monsteropolis the last few episodes with Mark and um, Seth. Or um, if you become a squad member, you know, not only subscribe to our channel, but become a squad member and you'll see me on on the trail of hauntings which have just started to be released i think the first episode we recorded which was at uh it was a while ago now but it was the very first episode of on the trail of Haunt hauntings which was in hanoverton that was released to youtube for free um but you can get it like ad free and all of that on um on the squad channel so very nice well i definitely encourage everybody to do that i believe that on the trail of hauntings in uh, Haverton was the was one that Seth sent us to review, yeah. and I loved it. Yeah, so, it was it was awesome. awesome. Yeah, I thought that was Thank that you. was excellent. You did wear a Wardruna uh, hoodie, which I <laughs> oh, mean, yes. if you want to win me over, that's a good way to do it. Yes. So. Yes. Yeah, you did. You you commented on that. I remember that on Facebook. You were like, shout out for the Wardruna hoodie. And I was like, thanks. I wear that hoodie everywhere. As soon as it's cold, it's my favorite hoodie. Um, and I've seen them multiple times. They're, if you guys, if you, one, if you don't know who they are, you need to look them up. But two, if you have the chance to see them live, do it. They're going to be yeah. coming to Chicago um, next I know. year. So yeah, I, I definitely like yeah, to go. We're not very far go. from Chicago, so. Yeah, you should do that. Don't miss it. It is like a life-altering experience, and that I don't even think that that's an exaggeration. <laughs> it's amazing. I I believe um, it. Yeah, but I've traveled. I've traveled all over the country to see them, and I actually had tickets to go see them in Iceland, but that keeps getting postponed because of COVID. Right. But um, yeah, no, they're worth it. Wardrina is amazing. All right. Well, okay. Now, that's another exclusive. You heard it here first. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. We're well, big fans. <laughs> yeah, uh, Heather, thank you so much. Uh, this has been wonderful, oh, and uh, and we look forward, yeah, you thanks. know, of course, to talking to you again real soon. Everybody listening, uh, absolutely check out all of of, of Heather's work. Um, she's absolutely the kind of person that we need, uh, you know, several dozen more of in in this field. <laughs> um, an actual, oh, you know, intelligent researcher putting the the, the real work in not just you know making up whatever comes to mind to, to sell a story so absolutely love your work love small time monsters absolutely and uh, everybody should check it out all right well awesome. then thank, thank you, you. <laughs> thank you <laughs> and to everybody else stay weird that's right keep it weird everybody We'd like to give a special thanks to Andrew Frisk, Dylan Burnett, and Kaylee Brewer for these episodes. Thanks, guys. Couldn't do it without you.